Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MESPA Principal Cast. This is Principal Brett Domstrand at Lake Marion Elementary in Lakeville, Minnesota. I am proud to be here today with Larry Thompson, the author of Roadmap to Responsibility. And Larry is going to be one of our keynote speakers at MESPA Institute. He's going to be speaking on Thursday, February 6th in the afternoon. So you're going to be getting a double dose of keynotes on Thursday. So I highly encourage you to get registered as soon as possible, and you can do that by going to www.mespa.net backslash institute. It's totally worth your time to take those three days and be with your fellow principals, learning with each other, and also hearing from some of these great speakers. And so again, go to mespa.net backslash institute, and MESPA is from February 5th through the 7th. So we look forward to seeing you. And now without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Larry Thompson. Larry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Honored to get to join you today. So, Larry, where am I talking to you? Where, where do you find yourself today? Home to me is Kansas. So I uh, kind of grew up in the area and uh, went around and taught in different states. And then uh, through some coaching opportunities, came, came back home and, and even went back and coached at my own high school. And that's what kind of drew me back to the area. And then, of course, you get kids and family and you settle in. So yeah, I'm in Kansas. Yeah. So what did, what were you what did you teach? I taught originally I taught social studies both middle school and high school and then uh with my oh my heart kind of always drawn to kids that struggled I ended up getting a special education endorsement and I had my own self-contained classroom with kids that struggled with their behaviors. Well, Larry, we are birds of a feather here. I, I didn't know that about you, but uh, I um, also have my special education license, and I used to teach in a self-contained EBD classroom is what we call it here in Minnesota. Um, and uh, let me tell you, um, we need plenty of great teachers working with our kids that are the most vulnerable um, when it comes to behavior and choices. And um, it's now that I'm connecting this, it makes a lot more sense when you talk about your administrative and your teaching experience and how you came to the roadmap of responsibility, to responsibility. Um, so now tell me, you were also uh, a principal as well. I was. I was a principal. My first principalship, I have a kind of a unique background that I never was an assistant principal. I was teaching uh, in my own self-contained room and they had asked me if I would consider taking over an alternative school. And I didn't even know the town had an alternative school, but uh, the I thought it was a promotion. So I kind of was excited and then they took me to visit it and it was a residential campus, uh, served about 125 kids that were placed there by the state that were um, put into foster care and most of their behaviors were too severe to find homes yet for them. So we had third grade through 12th grade. And that was my first principalship, which uh, is where a majority of what's in the book originated when I just got in really over my head and realized we've got to do something different because I found out I was their fifth principal in one school year. So we had to do something different. And the, the benefit of that is they were willing to let me try about anything <laughs> because nothing so, had been working. So I didn't have a lot of bureaucracy of bureaucracy of you can't try this or you can't try that or no, we've always done this. It was like, do something, please. Wow. And so, so with that came a lot of pressure, you know, wanting things to change, but also a really close staff because of the the difficulty of every day so a staff willing to roll up their sleeves and just go for it 
So I, I'm, you know, something that kind of bleeds through in the in, entire book, and I, I know it's also part of um, your presentations, is um, it's not just about giving kids responsibility. I mean, that's that's an easy thing to say, but to actually help bring that about in the thinking process for both the people working with the kids and the kids themselves of how do we do that in a respectful and honorable way of giving that back. And and so I'm going to assume that when you said you had a tight-knit group of staff, it's because you worked on building relationships with them. So they trusted you as you went through this experimentation phase of what to do. Well, yes. And you've got to remember when I walked uh, in to be introduced as their new principal, this would be their sixth one. Mm. And so I had a a lot of eyes looking at me kind of glazed over like, oh boy, here we go again. Here comes another one. <laughs> yeah, another person that thinks something will work with, what I hate even to say the line, but with these kids. You know, that's mm -hmm. kind of the category. People put certain kids in a category like they can't get better. And so getting them on board was a challenge. And I'll, I'll share in the keynote um, some of those experiences, but you kind of have two philosophies of how you're going to drive changes in behavior. And one comes from the side of more punitive, more consequences, be tougher on them and they'll change. And then the other comes to the extreme opposite side is if you can build relationship, everything will change. And, and that school, like most of our schools was caught in that, the two sides kind of fighting with one another. You're being too soft and they're not getting better or you're being so mean, they're angry. And so getting them to both give a little to find the balance was the struggle. Um, and once they saw that you can be very firm and ask for growth from kids and not be wimpy, that side came on board. And then once they also realized just giving a consequence doesn't promote growth very often, it promotes escape routes to growth, which I talk about in the book. So many mm -hmm. times the kids sitting in their consequence saying, well, they just don't like me. Therefore, three days of a kid processing that wasn't giving us a different kid. So everybody right. could see the was was wanted to help the kids. Um, and so was willing to make some changes. And that was a neat staff to work with. Well, it's it, it kind of goes to the point of you talk about giving giving kids exits to situations. And I think that same thing then would go to staff of making sure that they don't have to win this short-term battle because it's it's really, I, I think uh, RCD really kind of stands out in the way of it's not a short-term fix, but you're building for a long-term solution. Yeah, and I even work in juvenile justice and have been in some of the nation's toughest juvenile prisons. And you, this would sound shocking to people that don't work in the facilities, but you can even hear people in those facilities just saying the problem is we don't have enough consequences. Um, and to somebody on the outside looking at it thinking, what do you mean no consequences? They're, you know, they're controlled for every moment of their day. They're in a little tiny cell there. But you can get in a mindset where the only way you can get somebody to change is to make it bad enough if you don't change. And so I think a lot of times in education, we've kind of grown up in some of those systems. And so just opening the lens to see how do you really get internal growth into someone? I mean, how do you do it in a way where they get stronger and better at managing their self after each incident instead of I can control you? And think about how many times you've heard a classroom teacher or a principal, let's just go to principal, 
say something like this to a teacher, you need to get control of your class. <laughs> well, that's not what it is. It's the students need to be able to con control and manage themselves. And right. so I've seen teachers that are so skilled, but they don't create strong students because they do it out of all of their skill. And then when the kid goes to another room where the teacher doesn't have that level of skill, they can't make it. Right. So we might see one kid be successful. So one year they struggle, the next year things get better, and then they go back to struggling again. And we go, well, what happened? Yeah. And so some of that is actually making sure that we're, it's, it's almost like, you know, we, if, if, it's, if a child is struggling with reading, you give them different interventions to make sure that they can read well and read better. And, and this sounds like something with when you're talking about responsibility is we have to teach them the ways that they can be able to take responsibility for their choices and their reactions. Yeah, and I'm going to do a really neat demo. John uh, had asked me to bring it. I do it at some national conferences that will really show them uh, the process uh, in that keynote that shifts it into the internalized part of, this, of the child because we all want people to own their behavior. We say that all the time, yet we do processes that, that don't do that. And so I'm going to show them a very concrete way that that process happens in the brain and, and it will it will stick with them. It's a very fun way to see it, but uh, they won't forget it once they see it and it will help them when they're processing with a really tough kid. That's, that is awesome because practical um, exposure and experiences are the things that really um, become concrete in our thinking. And so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, so you make a point about talking um, in doing what works that that showing respect is a really important part and it's and it's tough to do when you're in the heat of the moment of a situation and one of the quotes that kind of stuck stuck out to me is um you, you say when we approach a situation in a wrong manner the focus turns to our poor reaction and your experience is that people will typically side with the person in a conflict whom they perceive as being most respectful and so talk a little bit about how that kind of line of thinking came to be and, and how that approach, uh, um, how that works. Well, I, I have just watched so many classrooms with students and so many times that uh, in a, I'm always very much a teacher advocate because very few of us got much real behavioral coaching or training in college. Even people with master's degrees sometimes don't have a lot of real coaching for those really hard moments. So what we choose to call them is the challenging moments, which pop up in tough schools regularly, um, but every teacher has a couple a day almost you have to deal with. And so what we watch is when a person leading the moment doesn't have enough skill or really enough training so they can get into that fight, flight, or freeze part of their brain, then those reactions can often become the focus of the moment and not the student's behavior. And mm -hmm. so an example might be... Uh, a student has their phone out in a class and a teacher says, put your phone away. And the kid might say, well, I'm not the only one that had my phone out. Right. And then that feels disrespectful to the teacher. So now the teacher says, if you're going to sit there and argue with me, you can just go to the office. Give me your phone or you're going to the office. Right. Well, or, or the excuse, I'm not talking about the other kids. I'm talking about you. Yes. <laughs> and right. so what happens yeah. in that is you tend to have a class going gosh, why is she so mad today? All he did was checking what time it was, you know, like, and now nobody's 
Or let's say that maybe the teacher says something hurtful to the child accidentally out of high emotion. Or how about this, a teacher that says, I don't want that kid back. Well, the whole focus now from the family and the child is focused on why do they not like my kid? And we're not even processing. You weren't supposed to have your phone out right then. Right. And so many times, and this, this is one of the ahas that happened to me in the alternative setting, is we were dealing with about 50 office referrals a day. Well, in a small school of 125 kids, that's almost half of them out of the classrooms. And just didn't have the personnel to, to process all of that. And that's where my aha happened of listening to the kids and what they would say when they were out of the classroom. And that's where, you know, uh, my brain kind of figured out the six basic ways people leave responsibility. And so one of those is if the adult loses emotional control, then you won't work on yourself. They, you, know, you say things like this, they got mad at me. They don't like me. They didn't like my brother. And then you could add in things like it has to do with, you know, my gender or it has to do with my race or ha th then kids start to think why am I feeling disliked what did I do and so what starts to happen over time is there's no growth in that child and so we really work one of the one of the components teachers have to master and we give them the tools to do that is master that emotional control in the moment because otherwise you lose the growth of the kid mm -hmm. and it's not enough help to tell people be calm you're the adult you know, those are great statements, but I actually need practice and a yeah. tool that I can go to because there's no way you can say, I just won't get mad again. <laughs> right. You know, so it, it really, that's one of the pieces of what, when we do the training is developing that tool into the teacher that when that conflict cycle starts and their brain goes to fight, fight or freeze, it's been retrained of where to go for just a little bit till it can go back to coaching that kid through it. Because you if know, that... Larry if that student leaves class, they need to feel they left because of their behavior, not somebody else's. Right. Well, I was thinking about whenever a student leaves class, the, the next goal is how do I welcome you back in? And it goes back to what you're talking about with respect is, is if, if for some reason I did need you to leave, if you, if your behavior was out of line and as a teacher, I can't leave my current class to, to help this student who's having a struggle is then when I'm welcoming you back, Hey, you had a hiccup we've done some processing you and i will process some more together and and like trying to get them back in so that relationship doesn't get broken so that respect bond can still be there and i, I think it almost relates to you know you you talk a lot about um be clear now obviously that's not the full acronym but i but right. be clear is is a acronym for how educators can really um really approach situations with students and can you talk a little bit about be clear Yes. Um, the be clear is the acronym for those, the six exits that people, I say people, not just kids take away from responsibility. And so it's just a way for them to remember that. And, and the B is, um, the benefit for changing the behavior and what we began to learn and working with kids and even leading adults, many people can't, don't see a reason to work hard on changing the behavior until they see a personal benefit to it. And mm -hmm. so like a child says, well, that's not even a bad word. And it's one of those words that, you know, I don't know if you call it a gray area, but it's, it's not a horrible word, but it's just not a school word. It's not a school appropriate word. You know, yeah. and so you're kind of like, 
but in the child's mind, that's not a bad word. So to just say, well, I don't want you saying it. You need to go to how it benefits the child to not say that word in certain settings. What's in it for them? So right. one of the things we teach people to do in the moment is it always has to have benefit for the person you're talking to or you feel like you're being overly controlled. And so once kids get into that control part of their brain, they push back much harder. <laughs> and you've seen kids sit in an office saying, that word's not even bad. My mom and dad say it. It's on the radio. This is so stupid. I'm getting in trouble for nothing. Right, right. All right. So be clear. The B is for benefit. Um, and then the E is for emotional control. Another thing you have to be able to do to close the exit for the kid leaving the growth is maintain that emotional control. Another one is clear expectation, which means the kid has to know what you're asking. So kids feel tricked or caught if they didn't know what was expected. And so we work very uh, deeply on that with schools having these really clear foundational core beliefs that we always go to. Um, so like if we had in our classroom a core belief of we'll treat one another with respect in all situations, then a kid that says a word that could that they maybe don't think is offensive, we would coach it from, but it says if it would have, you know, treat all people good. So if it would offend anybody in the room, it wouldn't be a word for the class. Mm -hmm. It would always go back to coaching from there. And then another one is consistency um, because the one of the exits most people take is somebody else is doing it too. Therefore, I don't want to be accountable. And right. like you just said, most teachers would, uh, the first response many of us would do if a kid says that girl has her phone out too is we would say, I'm not talking to her, I'm talking to you. But see where the brain is right now is it's exiting on consistency and until you coach that, it'll keep leaving the growth. So we teach you to hear which exit they're on in the moment so you coach the right thing. Because right. if, you came, if you came in as a frustrated staff and uh, your car got towed because it was in the wrong parking lot and you've been parking there all year, and two other teachers do too. And you said to me as your boss, hey, Larry, I, I wasn't the only one that parked back there. You, it wouldn't help you if I said, well, you knew the policy. You signed it at the beginning of the year. That's not your question. Your question is, why did the other people not get towed? Like, am I not liked here? Now your brain's going to go to all sorts of places of what's going. So those exits are important. And another one is the L is the leading the moment. If our teachers don't get enough help and support and growth in that moment, they're leading it all sorts of different ways. Some people are saying, go to the hallway, go to the neighboring classroom. You know, um, I'm going to call your parent, uh, go see a counselor, go see a nurse, go see the principal. Every, we want a very consistent way that we all coach those moments. And if we coach all those correctly, then the only exit left open is that R for in the end of clear, which is, the responsibility put back on the child for them to figure it out. Yeah. And so the job of the teacher moves from controlling the kid to closing the exits so the kid can grow. So Larry, let me, a question that's lingering with me right now as I listen to you is, is how long did it take you to, to come to this, this point where you said, you know what? I see RCD as a, as a system, as something that can be implemented by others, not just by me and the staff that I work with, this can work for all kids. Um, how did that? How did that come to be? I mean, it, I mean, because it seems so clear, and it seems like you can articulate it so well. Um, I'm just curious as to well, as you know, it was. 
it was definitely baby steps. And I, I, I make the joke when I do training a lot, I really didn't like high school speech class. So speaking in front of people would never have been something on my list that I want to do. But what happened really was some of these students started doing so much better. In fact, one of my most proud moments in education is that school, that alternative school, they couldn't have computers when I got there because the kids broke things all the time. And four years later, they won the governor's award um, for innovative school of technology. Hmm. So what happened is these kids would get to go back to their home school because they were doing so much better. Then the home school would call and say, oh, we're a little nervous. We're getting them back. Like they kind of didn't do well when we had them and we want to get them off to a good start. Could you come and share with us how you got them to do well at school? And so that was the very beginning that I would just go to the school, you know, for a couple hours before that kid was returning and just tell him, these are the ways that would help you if you did it this way with the kid. Well, then, you know, then the service center started calling and asking if I would do a workshop. And, and it was really my wife. One day she said, you go do all these things at these service centers. Why don't we just put on your own training? Mm-hmm. And that was many years ago. And I said, well, I don't want to organize it all. I want to talk to the people. So she organized it all, and and it, it just had a really good attendance, and we had to do it multiple times because of the numbers. So, yeah, it just started to, to grow ever so slightly. And then I was still doing as a principal for a long time, and then I kind of just hit the crossroads of uh, – and for me, it was the same thing that happened when I left the classroom. The, the, the moment to leave the classroom was really hard because I thought, who's going to look after these kids? Right, right. But then I thought, well, at a, at a school, if I'm principal, I can help, you know, these 125 and not just the 26 I have. And right. so the that teach, was the... Teach to fish, give a fish or teach to yeah. fish. Yeah, and then... Mm that was kind of the hard part too, leaving the building. I loved my high school, last high school principalship. And, and I was, uh, I had done some of the filling in for a superintendency and it was kind of in line for me to move up to that job. And then it just felt like my calling was something different. If I could help other principals and other teachers do it at their school, then the number of kids I get to have a little bit of an impact on, though I'll never probably meet them. Um, could be bigger and I could help more people. And my other thing is I just don't want to see teachers burn out. Most of them are burning out over behavior. I, I, I would 100% agree with you. I think the, um, I mean, obviously we, we can talk about mandates and lack of funding and all those other things, but I, I hear most frequently when I meet teachers from other schools and even in my own building is, is um, teachers will talk about, you know, the behaviors are more complex. Kids are coming to school with more things on their plates that um, teachers weren't trained to be able to to assist with. And it's not just explosive behaviors. It's withdrawal. It's um, shorter emotional um, stamina in, in some situations, or even just building those friendship skills. And so, you know, when you talk about respect and building supports um, for, for giving the kids more opportunities to take responsibility and realize they have a choice in voice and how they respond to situations it really gives the power back to the kids. So, you know, that, that kind of jogs my thoughts, uh, to one thing I talk about in the book as well is, um, that part in us that likes to show we can master something. It's a part of that internalization of our skills become our own. 
that's when a little child says things like, dad, come watch, you know, and you have to watch them jump in the swimming pool 10 times because they finally can do it by themselves or put my picture up on the refrigerator. Look how good I color. Those are mastery. And what I began to learn, too, is you can't build these kids self-esteem, anybody's self-esteem by telling them they're great. We've tried that in the past. You have to, it has to feel like you've accomplished something. So when we've denied kids solving their problem and we've solved it either through a consequence or we've over lifted for them and solved it through our skill, you deny them that mastery moment. And when you deny people mastery, you slowly damage their self-esteem. Right. And so there's more than one reason we want to do it different. We want kids that when crisis hits them, they know where to go. They go inside of themselves to dig in and figure it out. They don't go to victimhood of everybody keeps doing stuff to me. And if you never get to solve your problem, you're kind of a victim of the place you are because you can't do anything about it anyway. Right. So yeah, it's that's... really a big shift um, for teachers, but that's why we work so intensely with the principals to help them lead it, you know, incrementally until those skills are developed and until those processes are held accountable with kids. And, uh, boy, I've had a lot of letters and a lot of calls from teachers that were very against it when we started. And now just are like, I had one, you know, 26 years I've been teaching and I volunteered to do summer school for the first time. I'm loving my work again. Oh, what, what power is that? You know, that huh? to me is worth it all, you know, it because a, a stressed is. out teacher is not their best. They're not on their A game when they're feeling all of that. No, you know, we want, we want our staff to be passionate about working with kids and you can't be passionate every day. Okay. I, I'm not a fool to say just like people are happy all the time. No, those are fleeting moments when you catch those, but to, be passionate about when you see the success of a kid who you, at first you might've gone, I don't know what's going to happen with you, kiddo. And then you see the growth and you see the strides they take and you go, wait a minute, I can do this and I can do this for more kids. It, it's pretty powerful. And, you know, I think um, this, this kind of leads us to the, uh, the, 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 the strategy for teachers is, um, you know, you have a quote, whenever educators face challenging moments with students, they can remain calm and confident because they know exactly what to do, and that's give them five. And give them five is a is a big piece here in in RCD. And so, um, talk, you know, share with us. This is kind of our this is our swan song, our closing, Larry. <laughs> but uh, uh, to to talk about the the power of give them five and how that's such an effective tool. Well, if you think about when you're in a stress, really stressful situation, so um, I use the analogy of CPR is, is fairly simple to do. I mean, the, the concepts are simple. And many of us have a card that says we can do it, but whenever I've been in situations where it's needed, all of a sudden my brain panics, and I'm hoping somebody with more skill is nearby. <laughs> that that's more confident than I am, you know, even though yeah. it says I'm trained and certified. So to be able to go into the moments, you have to have like a default that your brain can switch into when stress wants to take it over. And you think about first responders. How does somebody run into a burning building when everything in your biology says to run away from it? Right. That It's training. And so what we have to do is 
and give them five as one of the tools for that training is my brain can switch to those five things when everything in my being is telling me to, you know, make that kid sit down or to raise my voice or I will switch to my default training. So I'll just switch to support. Um, you know, I want you to stay in class. It's not going to help you to leave if I don't even know what's wrong. I'll listen to you first. You tell me what's wrong because if I'm not seeing it right, I need to know. My brain can switch to that instead of what did you just say to me? Right. And so many of the things that our brain goes to don't mirror. You know, mirroring behavior is important because it helps somebody re-regulate. And so that give them five helps me really regulate me. And there's really strong pieces I'm going to show in the seminar um, that help if you're skilled enough, they say you can let somebody borrow your emotional control until they regain their own. And so my dream is to put teacher skills high enough that we know how to let a kid borrow our emotional control until they're back to okay. Mm -hmm. That's so very different than a classroom manager. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that modeling that composure so you can continue to... Uh, it, it's a supportive stance. And and you talk about just the, the different ways that you can... Um, the different ways you can help a student in a situation by how you how you stay calm, use a calm voice, give proximity, but make sure that you're lending your body in the direction of the students so they can see that you're focused and um, paying attention to them. I mean, there's there's all these different strategies with using give them five that that really some of them seem common sense, like oh right, but that reminder of like these are the things that you can do to set up any situation for success with the kid, and it's not a it's not a solve all in one step. It is a, a process that you build up over time that, that gives that control back to the kids. Yeah, and I think the big difference for RCD, which I say on a daily basis almost, is this is skill-based enough that we can monitor our staff's growth and progress. And most things are like, here's some tools for your toolkit. And, and sometimes that statement even bothers me because which tool you get out matters in which moment. And so this is more of a skill base that all staff will acquire and therefore kids' growth will be profound. But it starts with us having that strong skill um, so we can get that growth out of each moment with that kid or those children. And it's it's not to put pressure on staff, but many of my staff that didn't want to learn it, once they learned it, they were like, this is just so much easier. <laughs> right. I'm so much less stressed. I just know what to do. And, and sometimes a kid has a struggling moment. And when I would get to the staff's door and they used to be red faced and upset and, you know, emotional. And I would say, how are you? They'd be like, I'm good. He's having a rough day though. Called me some pretty bad words. Like that's all the level of stress they were having. Mm -hmm. And I ask staff regularly, you know, raise your hand in an audience. How many of you I had a good day or I had a bad day is based on kid behavior. Well, what we can change that every day can just be steady for you. And their day is good or bad based on their own behavior. Right. They don't their their choices don't have to control you. You get to come have a good day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Larry, I, I mean, look at this half hours has flown by. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so, you know, we're, we're excited to welcome you because you'll be our closer on Thursday 
um, at Winter Institute uh, for MESPA. So there's going to be about 500 principals there that will all be soaking in this message. And um, so I want to thank you for being here on the podcast today. And everyone, I want to again remind you that you can go to uh, registration is still open. We'll keep it open right up until the day we start. Institute this year is um, Wednesday through Friday, February 5th through 7th. You can register right now at www.mespa.net backslash institute and uh, and get signed up everyone come for one day come for three days but you really this is we want to model learning for our staff and that means as principals we have to be out there learning too and this is a great message that larry has here and and i'm excited to see what what you're going to be doing with us then larry I, now now that uh, you you kind of let the cat out of the bag that we're going to be doing a, a little experimenting or a little activity that uh, um, that excites me. So um, everyone, again, mespa.net backslash institute. Larry will be speaking on Thursday, February 6th in the afternoon. And Larry, where can everyone find you? What's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, responsibility Center Discipline. Uh, you can just go to the, uh, to the internet, you know, on the website um, and, and look it up through that name and it'll give us, uh, give you, get you to us. Plus there's lots of videos and things you can watch on there and, and some of the stories. Absolutely. It's at giveem5.com and that's G-I-V-E-M-F-I-V-E.com. And uh, Larry, I really appreciate you being on the MESPA Principal Cast with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'll see you in two weeks. Everyone, again, go register mespa.net backslash institute. Thanks for listening today. Make it a great one. Thanks for listening to this episode of MESPA Principal Cast. For more information about the Minnesota Elementary School Principals Association, visit MESPA.net.